So, like, if you're a Raptors fan, re-watching these Raptor games, whether the games are good or not, is still worthwhile to you. Why do you think Dave included a uh, New Orleans uh, NFC game? It was kind of crap. But the point is that— Stop uh, it, man. It was a good game. It was a garbage game. Get out of you, here. You know, man, no, it was—honestly, was, I honestly, I would like people—like, please, listeners— no. Tell us whether watch the game. How many and then fumbles does Adrian make. Peterson have to have before you can before you realize it wasn't good? It was poorly executed. It was bad football. No, as yeah. a game as a whole, it was a great game. It was a, it has everything you want in a football game, except for like competent play, we logical play too. calls. Episode forty-eight, almost fifty of the unnecessary nonsense podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots. Dramatic pause. I'm Carlos Aguilar, and with me as always is Dave Trimble. I don't know how I feel about that dramatic pause, Carlos. The dramatic uh, pause yeah. has to be there because we're just generally unqualified idiots. We're not going to be talking about sports, only peripherally. We'll get into that. But the truth is, we're just generally unqualified idiots. Well, yeah, that's pretty much true. Yeah. But that's why we're the podcast of... Maybe we should change the name and it becomes the podcast of two unqualified idiots. Absolutely not. Unnecessary nonsense perfectly encapsulates what this podcast is at its very core in two words. Fair enough. I, I mean, that is the one thing I will take credit for. I did come up with the name. Look at you took uh, the better part of uh, four decades, and you came up with a thing. Congratulations. Hey, I'll take it. Small victories, right, Carlos? You take them when you can get them. Absolutely. And the thing is, reality is we don't have a lot of uh, sports to talk about. And like I said, to be honest, I've been pivoting this podcast steadily over the last couple of episodes towards, like, I don't care if they turn sports back on. I'm still going to have the segment, which take a while, of what I talk about whatever the hell I want. And then we'll have a sports topic in there somewhere eventually. But the thing is that um, what this reminded me, though, is if I wanted to do, like, a summary of what's going on in sports right now, it reminded me very much of a, um, of a music video and song by Chris Rock back in around 99 2000 and it was just like called it. and it was just called No Sex but it was actually the main verse was No Sex in the Champagne Room and it was I a, do remember that. Yeah, and it was a parody of um Baz Luhrmann's Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen where he's just giving off a bunch of advice. And right. My, and my favorite part You know of, you were the person who introduced me to that, so that not the sunscreen one but the Chris Rock one. Absolutely. And the thing is it's still great. But the but the thing about it, the reason why it got me to thinking about it was that there was a sequence in the Chris Rock song, in the Chris Rock parody, where he basically is giving horoscopes for everyone. And all the horoscopes basically are the same. It's like, you know, Gemini, you're going to die. Scorpio, you're going to die. Now, obviously, he makes some variations on it, but the, the subtext is all of them are going to die. Gemini, you're going to die twice. That's right. So the thing is, though, the main subtext is it doesn't matter which, which one you're on, you're going to die. So I'm kind of, uh, what reminded me of that was uh, this sequence. Like, if I wanted to do an update, all right, NHL, they're not playing. NBA, also not playing. But they got the, they got a 2K, you know, tournament on TV with that's really boring. And I watched part of an episode, and it kind of sucks. But... Do you want that part of your life back? I, I, I gave it about a good five minutes, and Kevin Durant's just real boring. Like, you know, at least trash talk each other or something. My understanding, though, is that the episode picks up because I think Patrick Beverly is on it as well as part of the bracket. And I think he does a lot more trash talking. I'm like, look, guys, either you trash talk or we get commentators. I, one way or the other, I don't care. That, I would I would support that. Yeah, you got to put something on there because just watching two people play 2K is worthless without something. Speaking of the commentators, have you seen any of the, any of the stuff that like commentators are doing now? Like that's been going around Twitter and stuff? Like they had Joe Buck, he, did, he called, a, called a marble race. Oh yeah, um, no, I know, I know that the, uh, the British uh, rugby broadcaster who's just like broadcasting random everyday life. Yeah, well, the thing is, like at ESPN, they've been doing little parodies of that too, where they've been putting it on Twitter and different social medias. Like instead of around the horn, it's around the home, and they've got uh, you know the Dan Lebetard one. I forget. I think it's just called highly questionable normally, but right now it's highly quarantined. Right. 
Nice. Yeah, so they got the so they'll do like the little split screen and they'll talk about a sports topic. They're still doing a segment of the show instead of like the whole show, but they're doing the segment of the show where everybody's on webcams at their house, which is fine. You know, the reality is you can still get it, and it's it's only a couple of minutes. So the truth is, in these bite-sized little bits, it's kind of fun, and they'll throw it under their social medias. So it's uh, and obviously you can see the slow descent into madness is is why it kind of works, and that's kind of the fun part. You know, everybody's kind of making do, and like I said, really for me, obviously other than the fact that don't leave the house very often it's it's been pretty straightforward it's been kind of easy like at this point i've got it down more or less to a science this week i was uh work was basically just me kind of doing my thing at the laptop and then when i'm not doing that i'm doing things around the house now i, I do have a couple of stories from this week though but uh, before i share those uh how was your week this week good uh you know obviously closer to the move we're now four days away although we're moving out on monday so that's you know coming up and somewhat exciting and somewhat not uh you know into the wilderness uh, for a couple of days and then into the house. We'll just call it that. But uh, here's some things that I learned this week which were interesting to me. Number one, I've been wearing, um, because some of the weather been a little chillier, uh, I've been wearing an Irish sweater that I own, right? So an authentic wool Irish sweater made in Ireland. Bought in Canada, but made in Ireland. And after the rain, it like literally smelled like the sheep. Like you, It was like, I smell like farm animal after going for a walk. And it was, it was kind of like lightly raining which I found very interesting. Um, also learned that the rain cover on the stroller is solid. Uh, and then I had two very different experiences uh, doing some shopping this week. Uh, one at the LCBO and the other at the beer store, uh, which was, I don't know, it's like every time you go out and do any kind of shopping, it's like for me, it's very unnerving. Even like if you're at like the gas station doing something where it's like you know you gotta scan your own items at the gas station now i would say between these- the two the beer store would be the one that would concern me as far as like hygiene and things which is always a little questionable at the best of times with the way the beer handle stuff in the beer store yeah you see the beer store unnerved me a lot less than the lco did really yeah and i i guess i mean they both have like the sort of like areas taped out now or lines on the floor where you're supposed to keep the distance they're only letting a certain amount of people in the store at a time which is great which is good yeah. uh the lc but but the, here's the thing that got me at the lcbo right so you know i got what it is it was they were like we were out for walks so my wife and my son did not go into the store uh just me and they waited outside at a distance from anyone else that was out there but they were like the baby can't come in and we're like it, it's okay like it's fine but they have, in this particular LCBO, I think they have four cash registers. Okay? Yep. And they had two open, which is fine. I have no issue. I had would have had no issue if they only had one open. But they had they had two open, but they were the two side by side each other. Yep. So it's like you had, like so, you know, like when one person's paying, you have your back to the other person who's paying, which is, you know, which is fine. But it's like, in a normal circumstance, but it's like, if you're trying to go with the social distancing thing and you really want to keep the six feet... Why don't you open the cash register that's like literally 12 feet away? Yep. Why are you going to the two that are right there? Like to me, that didn't make any sense because they're like, make sure you keep your back to the person. I was like, yeah, okay. Like, all right. But also, if we didn't have this problem at all, if you just open a different cash register and there's two that aren't being used right now. I don't know. I found that weird. But otherwise, you know, I got what I needed. So the thing is, uh, there's two things. Number one, I'm offended that you went to the beer store and didn't ask me if I wanted anything. How, how dare you? To, to begin, just off. That's Roberto's job. I know he's an LCBO person. I was going to say. I know he works there, but it's still Roberto's job. No, be- be- number one, yes, it is his job, but he's gone into hiding because he's, uh, he fears for his life. Um, he's decided the uncouth masses are now too dirty for him to deal with anymore. So he's, uh, he's opted out of that, uh, which is fair. I get it. 
but the but the thing is, like, no, the, the biggest difference between the beer store and the LCBO, like, the LCBO is fine. The LCBO is where you get liquor, uh, and the beer store is where you get beer. Reason being, it's not that the LCBO doesn't have beer. They have plenty of beer. But the thing is, the beer store is where you get the beer by the case. It's where you get the volume. It's like the Costco of, uh, of alcohol in our, in our area. This is where you go, like, no, does anyone really need one that size? Yes, I do, sir, madam. Yes, I do. If you say so, Carlos. Yeah, I do. But also, yes. I do, yeah. And, uh, you know, I already tried to get Roberto to kind of stem this off while he was still there. Uh, I tried to tell him, it's like, look, we can we can cut off the middleman. All you got to do is usually he does a lot of the stocking in the back and then takes off, off the skids and all that. That's what he was doing. And I said, well, why don't you save a little bit of time? He goes, what do you mean? So what you do is you load up the pallet, right? And you got the little thing and just drive the, the forklift back to the house and we'll just drop it off in the garage and we'll just save the middleman. Let's get it over with, man. Just take it straight. I like it. Yeah, I he's, think that's a... F- Perfectly solid idea. Well, this is the thing. The guy keeps trying to tell me. It's like, well, you know, I bought a couple of things. Like, no, the problem is you keep buying a couple of things. Whenever you say you bought beer, you bought like four beers or five beers. I'm like, no, four or five cases. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you, son? Like, what do I need to do? I'm trying to teach you to become a beer baron out here. Also, every time I buy a case of beer in Canada, I just I'm reminded how much it hurts because it's so much cheaper in the States. Even with the exchange, so much cheaper. Indeed. No, it's a, it's a fact. But the other thing that I was also thinking about is that, and part of the reason that I don't want to go to the beer store is that uh, I do have some questions about the way they some of them operate. And it is, it is owner-operated. So reality is, to your example, part of that is because the manager at that particular store wasn't using his brain. Because I can tell you, Roberto's store, they were, they do separate them out. They, they were a lot more, they were a lot more militant about keeping people outside and counting the amount of people in the store. And even then, uh, there comes a certain point where you can only be so secure. But they would literally only let certain people in after somebody went out. So they were really diligent about having somebody at the door. Like, no, you're not coming in until this. No, they person had that leaves. person at the door. It was just the cash register that was the issue. Yeah, and they would separate them out. And the thing is, they. Th- it depends. I guess it depends on which manager's in charge. But the the reason why I say that the beer store, I kind of want to avoid it, is that realistically, if I was going to go to the beer store, I would grab probably a couple of cases, even with the ridiculous price, just to have volume so that I don't have to go back there for a while. But then the other thing about it is that um, I still got plenty of empties that I need to clear out and get rid of. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit there for like 20 minutes. You know, okay, let me count these. But let you me also can't these. take the empties back right now. They and, won't. They're not accepting empties right now. And that's logical. It makes perfect sense. Like you have to take the baskets outside, and it's it's a pain in the ass. It's a pain in the ass under normal times. When everything's regular and it's not busy and whatever, it's still a pain in the ass. So imagine right now they wouldn't even want any part of that. And that that's very logical. You know, we don't want your tainted empties. None of that. You breathed on them. That's wrong. But yeah, no, I totally get that. Anything else? No, man. That's my uh that's pretty much packing and a couple of stories for you. Uh, so let's hear about you, man. What's been going on? All right. If everybody's still awake, I got some stuff for you. So the thing is, like I said, for the most part, the uh, the week itself went fairly normally. Uh, work is work. You just work from home. That's a situation I'm in, which again, I know I'm fortunate with that. I get it. But I was doing my thing. But two things that were kind of fun for me. Number one, uh, on Tuesday, uh, one of my old associates from Shaw, where I used to work, uh, actually was having a birthday. And they're all the way in uh, South Carolina. So even, even in a 50-50 shot, they picked the wrong Carolina. They picked the Carolina that sucks. But the point is, uh, you know, other than the constant ridicule I give for picking the wrong Carolina, they um, obviously they're all the way out there. But what they said is they said, well, you know, we know the way this is going to be. Still wanted to have a birthday celebration of some kind. So I got a Facebook invitation to their birthday via Zoom. So I attended on Tuesday my first Zoom birthday celebration. Interesting. Yeah. 
So it was basically just, you know, a video chat where uh, where a bunch of people got online using the application. And uh, basically, yeah, we were just hanging around and chatting and I uh, and I grabbed uh, and I grabbed my drink and we just sat there and kind of just chatted for a couple hours. So it was uh, it was kind of an interesting way of going about it. So you had obviously the people in Carolina, you had a couple of those people in the U.S. there as well. But they were online. You had one of the one of her friends in Toronto and then myself uh, here in the Toronto area as well. But then also on top of that. You also had one of our friends who was operating in a completely different time zone over in Scotland. Nice. So is, very, that the, is that the, the person that uh, used to work in the warehouse? Yes. And then she like married a guy in Scotland? Yep. And also, yep. And, also used, and also used to work with us at the call center at Shaw as well prior to that. So it's one of those things where, uh, where it's just fun watching. It's like, okay, well, how do you know each other? It's like, yeah, it's like me and this one uh, worked with Katie. It's like, so here you go. I, I wasn't going to get into that too much, but I was just sitting there and... Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend Zoom. Zoom's fine, but be aware that, you know, there are security exploits on it. So when I downloaded, I was aware of that and I positioned it in a way where like I control what's in this laptop well enough where I'm like, I don't care. Uh, but you need to be aware of that. There are other options, you know, the Skypes and things of the world. There are some other things you can do. Although I will give them credit, they do have like a screen sharing feature where you can like uh, play games and like draw stuff on there and whatever. If you're just screwing around, you can do that. And also do screen sharing with everybody. Uh, some companies and schools or universities are starting to use that for meeting. But I would be wary of that just because of the security things. In, the fact that we were doing one Zoom meeting and that's the only one that I was doing, I was perfectly okay with that. And it was a good time. It was a couple of hours, uh, a couple of hours, just chilling out, having some drinks. So other than that, though, the um, I think there was one other thing I was thinking about as I kind of went through the week and uh, I was thinking about the main topic here a little bit. It kind of forced me to revisit a couple of the, the games. And I'll tell you a little story related to that. Uh, one of the things that I started doing is like, wait, I feel like I tweeted some of these events that I'm thinking about some of the ones. So I went back back into the dark recesses of my old of my twitter handle which i still still have but i don't really use uh and i'll tell you carlos from 2010 to 2015 2016 there were some hot takes there some spicy takes dave <laughs> there were some spicy takes i was very proud of uh of carlos from five to nine years ago nice i like it yeah so uh so i was having a little bit of fun with that and there were some heavy, heavy WWE takes. I was taking out. I was taking on uh, WWE and the man. Any way we could get some screenshots of these on the YouTube channel? I'm going to uh, no. Well, one thing for sure is I, I've actually taken a couple of the screen grabs, and I'm going to I'm going to figure out a place to put them. I might put them on the uh, Instagram. Yeah, the Instagram might be the logical place to put it, or even Twitter itself if you want to do a Twitter inception. That'd, like be kind, that'd be kind of fun. Like so we'll see. Uh, I'll see if I can find some of the more interesting ones, but I will refer to a couple when we're talking about the games. One other thing I want to talk about real quick. Um, Actually, two. One of them is just an annoyance I have that I was thinking about the other day, and I was like, "No, I'm going to bring this up because I, I need to get a, I need to get some feedback on this." So, part and parcel of having the time off and you know the self quarantining and all that means everybody's got to find things to do. The, the whole thing with our topics is that we're finding different things for people to listen to, to watch, or whatever things to help them occupy the time. Well, one of the good ones, and we're hashtag not sponsored. Uh, one of them is like audio, audible, and audiobooks and all that. But I was thinking about this the other day, and it it's, it kind of annoys me from time to time. But then I think about it. And I get really more annoyed okay so just so everybody knows you cannot read an audiobook it is by definition the opposite of reading you're literally Correct. having someone read to you but people Correct. will still use the verbiage like oh i read it i read this book it's like oh how'd you just oh i had the audiobook for it it's like you read nothing you literally had someone transcribe and, and then read it out to you basically if if that's considered reading then congratulations you are reading this podcast you are reading my rant about that not being reading 
Did that come? Like, did that? Did something specific happen this week that made that come up? I just heard it brought up in a lot of podcasts I was listening to when they were doing the uh, their Audible uh, plug. So they talk about, oh, you know, read these books. And I'm like, it's not reading. Read this book. But about the tenth time I heard, it, I was like, all right, enough, enough. It is not reading. Interesting. Just saying. Just thought I would uh, mention that. It's kind of an important thing. One other thing that uh, related to that actually is uh, I've been for the most part pretty good about not buying any shit because uh, you know, obviously, you want to kind of keep things under control. But I decided that I was going to invest in one thing because I'm like, all right, if I'm going to be watching a ton of content and I'm watching a lot of YouTube and all that, and also I am reading, actual reading, words on a page or words on a digital screen, doesn't matter, that's still reading. Uh, but if I'm going to absorb more content, then I need to make sure I have. And I actually have a tablet, a Samsung T uh, S3 or Tab 3 or whatever it's called. And it's nice. It's okay. But it's gotten a little dated. So I decided to go get myself an iPad Air. So I got one of the new ones. Solid. Yeah. So I just want a little bigger screen and all that. And uh, when I get it, I should get it this week here. Uh, our good friends at Amazon will deliver it for me because apparently they're not delivering everything. So I'm going to pick that up. And it's really going to be kind of like my secondary machine because I got the laptop. So I'm going to do that. But also, if I want to be doing some reading or something, my eyes are too damn tired from staring at a screen all day. I need I need the bigger form factor. I can't be looking at small stuff. I need I need more space. So we'll see how that plays out. But that's going to be part of my content uh, viewing you know, world. But the other thing is, uh, unrelated now to that, and kind of leading us into... Um, A few moments later. So anyways, I was saying it was one thing, and this is much like the Monty Python skit, where now instead we're going backwards. So there were two things, and now there is one thing. Because old age. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, so let's get into the uh, let's get into the main topic here. Oh wait, I just remember what it was. I remember what the second thing was. Perfect. It's, it it came to me in a dream, and by that I mean I fell asleep with my eyes open, and then it came back. Okay. So right now, as we speak, right this minute, and I referred to it last week, WrestleMania 36 is currently airing right now. Ah uh, yes. Now I did mention the two it day event. Is this day one or day two? Yes, this is day one of a, of a two day festival of crap that is now called WrestleMania thirty six. Uh, it's already been pre taped. Everything's been edited and put together. It's in the can. So the thing is, I had a little bit to say about it last week, and I talked about how it's going to be weird without an audience, and you know how it's like a stage show, and that's really not conducive. You really do need the audience to kind of get that reaction, which plays into how you observe it as a viewer. But there is one other aspect of it that I didn't give as much thought about that I, I do want to kind of emphasize right now. And this is the thing that really has come into play with both the WWE and the UFC. At a certain point, stubbornness is a bad thing. And for WWE, it's a bad thing. I'll explain why in a second. But UFC is trying to do this too. Because Dana White is trying. He's hell or high water. He's trying to get UFC 249 to happen. And already, uh, you know, Khabib has already basically gotten out of it. So his main event is shot. And he's still trying to find somewhere in the world. He was actually thinking about Saudi Arabia. He's like, well, we could do it in Saudi Arabia. They don't have laws there. Sure. It's, it's, it, at a certain point, it's like a desperation. And it comes off as genuinely desperate. And Vince McMahon has the same thing. It's like, everyone's like, just delay the damn thing. Air it in the stadium or a place where you can actually have an audience. You, you may have to wait a little bit. Just do the thing properly at a time when you can actually do it. But no, it was like one change after another change after another change. And even though I don't watch the show regularly, I was genuinely curious. This Friday, I watched the go-home show prior to the thing starting tonight. And the thing is, the reason I watched it is because I was genuinely curious, okay, I already know that some of the matches you advertise are canceled because the people weren't available. 
because they had to leave. Oh, jeez. Including one of your championship matches, which you have been promoting. Right up until Friday, it was still technically on, even though everybody in the planet knew it was off. And the guy himself went on social media and basically apologized for it being off. So it's like everybody knows there is no hiding. But if you're like a casual viewer and you're genuinely not paying attention, you, you're thinking in your mind that Roman Reigns is going to WrestleMania. By that, I mean he already went to WrestleMania a week or two ago and had a match with Goldberg for a champ, you know, for the WWE championship, for one of the championships. And as it turns out, no, he's not. But that already happened a couple of weeks ago. But for some reason, it was still showing up as advertised up until Friday where their big announcement to change one of their championship matches was basically just updating the graphic to show the other guy with no explanation. That's, that's, uh, that's, wow, third rate, man. It was too good. I, 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 that's why I was very annoyed that I was forgetting for a moment where I was going with this, but I was like, no, 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 I need to tell Dave. I need to tell the people. This is what desperation gets you. And by the way, Dana White is not exempt from this. This USC 249 thing, he just needs to let it go. The same way that Vince McMahon should have let it go, Dana White needs to let it go. So there you go. I brought it back into the sports realm. Need to let it go. I like I like how we we kind of came full circle there pretty much. Yeah, we got there. It took it took me a minute. Like I said, hashtag old age. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. My caffeine hasn't kicked in, unfortunately. It's it's sad. Uh, I got to make my own, so it's the way it works. But we got there. The point that I'm yes. trying to make the point that I'm trying to make is if you're housing any events, your desperation to put on the damn show just to try is not a good thing. If the best you can do is a second rate or third rate version of the show, it's not entertainment. It's not a distraction. It's none of those things. If you're gonna put on a second rate version of the show. Because if you know it can be a thousand times better and you just put a crappy version in just to give, well, here you go, it's something. No, I'd rather have nothing, thank you. I'll go make my own entertainment than give me a second-rate version of something. I hear you. Yeah. All right. So, enough of uh, Carlos ranting about generic things. Although he, although I did enjoy ranting about generic things. I appreciate the gen- the ranting on generic things as well, though. And as I do think that people do as well. Yes. The main topic of the story is going to be talking about some games that we think are worth revisiting. Now, the, the trick here is going to be, and for some of them I may be able to give you some recommendations for some of the ones that I picked. But uh, I will say to you, uh, I suspect some of them are probably findable in YouTube, definitely. There are some streaming services or things where you may be able to get some of these games. Some of them you might have to have on DVD, so if you don't have it, you may not be able to catch it that way. So that's why I'll, that's why I'm, my list is going to be a little bigger because I'm giving you a variety of options. And if you can find it somewhere, if I can find a link to some of these, I'll try to throw that into the, um, I'll try to throw that into the uh, podcast notes uh, for this one. Uh, but some of them may be a little trickier to find in others. So just bear that in mind. But at least these are some ones to consider, and maybe it'll get your mind going into some other ones that you can think about. So tell you what, Dave, do you want to get started then on some games that sure. you think are worth uh, rewatching? Do you want to do, you want me to do all mine first, or do you want to do all yours? Go because I got a couple of them, including some references to Twitter. So go ahead. Okay. Uh, so I, like we promised, we were going to, uh, which we're not doing. But I did. I ranked mine. From five to one. I made no uh, such five, promises. Five, I simply said it was a good idea, and then I, I didn't actually say I was going to do it. All right. So uh, and my criteria is basically just um, moments from a game, but that something, you know, it wasn't just like one moment. There were several things in the game. Uh, so my first one for you is in number five is the 1993 World Series Game 6. Yep. So this is the one known for Joe Carter's home run. But should also be known for uh, Mitch Williams' blown save and and some things like that. So basically, I I picked this game for obviously for that moment, but also because it's important to note that you know in Game Five of that series, Kurt Schilling had pitched, and it was the joke was Jim Fergosi, the manager of the Phillies, said, "I'm going to let him pitch till his arm falls off," which basically he did. And then Philly came back, yeah, you know, and was 
fairly dominant in the beginning and most of game six uh, to look like, hey, you know what? Okay, we're going to go game seven. And then obviously that didn't happen. And then you have the Joe Carter hitting the home run off Mitch Williams, jump around the bases. Uh, but I like this game for the, obviously the game, but also for the moments that come after it. For one, the craziness of winning back-to-back World Series, uh, which is you know pretty big deal. Uh, and I think it was arguably bigger, like the 93 World Series for the Jays was arguably bigger than the 92 World Series. That part I'll agree with you, but I'm going to have a little bit of a hot take after you're done. So is there anything else you want to add to the 93? No, that's number five. Okay, so I intentionally ignored both of the Jays World Series. And the reason I did is because while it's significant locally, like in Ontario, Canada, that was a huge moment. And I was, you know, we were both nine and 10 years old when that happened. So it was kind of a big deal because I remember that was the first time I was, that's the first time I can legitimately say I was watching all the games of the World Series, which I would go on to do. I've seen basically every game of every World Series since. So coming back from then. And uh, one of the games that I'm going to mention actually predates that, but all the other games that I'm mentioning, I have watched either in their entirety or I've watched a replay in its entirety. And they're all within our lifetime, so we haven't gone too far back. So they're all within that period of time frame. We could talk about older games, but I don't think it's fair because uh, we don't have the context to be able to give to it. The ones that we happen in our lifetime, we can at least give some context around it. And I think for most of them, it's you're probably going to be able to find them somewhere. Yeah. Right? So... Like I said, with the 92 and 93 World Series. So your 93 World Series is a very good one. Obviously, the Joe Carter home run was a big moment, especially nationally in Canada. You know, second championship in that sport that was entirely U.S.-based up until that point. And that was that, that's why the 92 won the big play call at the end was, you know, for the first time, the World Series is going to fly north of the border. And then in 93, they, you know, they repeated. But the reality was, uh, and Joe Carter was involved in both last plays. One was catching the ball at first base and one was hitting the home run. Uh, obviously, 93 was a big moment because it was the first time since, uh, I think it was, um, uh, it was 1960 World Series. It was... Uh, Bill Mazeroski. Thank run. you, Bill Mazeroski. That's right. That was the other time that the World Series ended on a game-winning home run. So it was that very... Was, the, that, was that the one that was called the shot heard around the world or was that a different... No, that was 1951 and that one was Bobby Thompson. That was the shot right. around the world. You're correct. That yes. was to win the pennant. But also a very significant, obviously, game-ending, you know, home run. But the thing is, with the 93 World Series, the reason I didn't pick it is because, you know, in the context of going back to it, and one of the links I'll offer for everybody, you can go check out that game yourself if you want to check it out. Here's the thing. It wasn't actually a very good game. The tension was there. Like, it was significant for us because we were watching it from the standpoint that we wanted to win, we wanted to beat the Phillies and everything. But actually, as a, as a World Series game, I've got a couple that are World Series games that I'm going to give on my list that are, like, 80 times better. It actually doesn't even rank in the top 20, the top 30 for me in terms of actual good quality games. From a personal memory standpoint, it's right at the top of the mountaintop. But as from a World Series, no, I've seen way better World Series games. I've seen better clinching games. I've seen better playoff games. It wasn't actually that good a game. Obviously, it had the good dramatic ending. But when I'm rating some of these games that I'm going to pick, and I'll explain kind of why I picked certain games that I did, there has to be a little bit more to it. And that's why. But it, there's nothing illegitimate about it. There's no wrong answer to this list, but I'm just saying that's why this one didn't make my list, even though it was an obvious choice. Okay. And number four, the only other baseball game on my list, the 2001 World Series Game 7. That's a good one, and I've got that on my list, so I'll talk about it more when I get to it. All right. So well, so this is well, you can talk about as much as you want now, too. Yankees-Diamondbacks. Uh, and I picked this game because one of the memories from the game, I thought it was a good game, uh, also, the fact that the Yankees lose, which is always a joy. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of the lead up that happened to it. So the fact that uh, the basically Arizona had been in a, in a position to sort of win the World Series before this game. Uh, but their closer, I think Byung-Yang Kim was his name. 
But I think he blew at least two saves in the series, did yep, he not? He did. Yeah. That was part so, of the reason why it built up the tension to go into Game 7. Right? So you have that. Uh, and then you have an, another blown save in Game 7, but this time it's Mariana Rivera blowing the, the Game 7. Now, Carlos would tell you that's karma, even though like the reason most of the reasons um, Carlos hates Mariana Rivera come after 2001. It was like kind of like a pre-karma thing. No, Dave, don't don't try to don't try to put words in my mouth. What I would say to you is the reason that happened is because he's a mediocre reliever who, frankly, isn't a good pitcher. If he knew how to pitch, this wouldn't have been an issue. And also, uh, Luis Gonzalez with the game-winning hit. Uh, so I thought overall that I love that World Series because there's so much drama in the whole World Series, and then. The game seven is on the list for me because of everything that happened and sort of the build up to it. And and then you have, you know, like super dramatic game on top of that. Yes. Now, there was a lot to it. So I'll add a couple of points to it. That uh, So game seven, 2001 World Series was on my list as well for baseball. So I had some baseball games. I got more baseball games than Dave does, but I'll explain the context behind it. So let me give you this one to you right now. The reason why 2001 World Series game seven was so huge is it was the first time the Diamondbacks won the World Series, but that isn't really that important in the grand scheme. But the big thing is in that series, the Diamondbacks of 2001 had tremendous performances from both Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. And in yes, the in, in, game, in relief. Correct. And Randy Johnson was dominant in that series leading up to that point because I believe he pitched game six and pitched brilliantly to get them to that game seven. And the thing was that he then came in relief to finish off. Uh, you know, to put them in position to win the game seven. So that was huge. And that was part and parcel of the reason he was, I think he won the MVP in 2001 World Series. Um, and deservedly so because he performed brilliantly. Um, and obviously this is Randy Johnson, you know, Hall of Famer, at basically showing off the peak of his powers with another guy in Kurt Schilling who is, you know, uh, you can argue he's a Hall of Famer as well. And he's got enough uh, hardware to be able to make a legitimate case for himself, you know, being nuts notwithstanding. But the thing is that that year was huge because you had this powerhouse uh, Diamondbacks team that would never be the same after that. This was like their crowning achievement with these two Hall of Fame caliber pitchers, an overall great team top to bottom. Sorry, uh, Schilling and Johnson were named co-MVP. Okay, that makes sense. And I, I, I can totally work with that. But the other thing that was really critical about it, and this is almost forgotten, was that the 2001 World Series, if the Yankees had been able to prevail... That would have been their fourth consecutive World Series. They actually had already won three in a row. They were the three-time defending World Series champions, which is why the 2001 was so significant, which is like somebody finally knocked off the Yankees. They won in 96. They won in 98. They won in 99. They won in, two, they won in 2000 in the Subway Series. So they were, they were on pace. They had a real shot at winning four in a row. And in the end, obviously, they did win another World Series, you know, down the road. Uh, and it took them another eight years to win the next one. And they also lost in 2003. But up until that point, they had been basically impervious other than the 97 season where it just didn't come together for them. Otherwise, they could have easily won five in a row because they were in contention legitimately, which yeah. would have been insane. Yeah. Which would have been nuts, especially in the modern era. Abs well, absolutely insane. But yeah. in, in, insane. Yeah. You'd have to go back to basically the Yankees of the 40s and 50s to get that kind of a run going because it just didn't happen. So there was a very different era, a very different way of going about it. And one other little piece of subtext that I would give to everybody, the 2001 World Series was also a couple of months after September 11th. Yeah. So it was like a, a lot of things came together to make that kind of a bigger moment than it would have been even otherwise. Obviously, World Series was still a big thing, and you had all the tension and all that built into it. But it was a New York-based team. Uh, with September 11th, and George W. Bush uh, pitched one of the uh, first pitches in, I think, game one, maybe another game, but game one for sure. So you had all that pomp and circumstance. You had Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling at the peak of their power. You had a powerhouse Yankee team that were done in by a mediocre closer. Like, there was all these things that came together. 
Yeah, but it was it was a pretty special World Series, and it was a great game. Yeah, so that's why that that's why I say that little extra piece of context that like elevates it. That's why I wanted to make sure that we understood all the stuff that was going into that one. That's why it was so big at the time. So that's a good one, Dave. All right. Uh, so number three on my list is the for the first pretentious cross country running game. Is the 2005 Champions League final, which I watched live, which I remember being on a weekday, which was weird because now it's always on a weekend. But anyway, uh, it was Liverpool versus AC Milan in Istanbul. Uh, AC Milan was favored to win the game, and they came out like gangbusters. They scored in the first minute, and they were up 3-0 at halftime. And, I mean, this is a game, right, where if you were watching this game, AC Milan was going to win it. They're probably going to score again. Liverpool looked way out of their depth. Then Liverpool comes back. Scores three goals in the second half in the span of six minutes. Nobody scores in extra, goes extra time. Nobody scores in extra time. And then it goes to penalties, which is obviously always huge drama whenever a, a game goes to penalties. And Liverpool, uh, their goalie came up huge, Jersey Dudek. And Liverpool won 3 2, right? And the penalty shootout, and they win the Champions League final. And in terms of, uh, of drama, I don't think I've ever watched a soccer game. Even though my number, well, maybe I have because number one on my list is a soccer game too. Uh, I was gonna say, like, good job there has, by you. You you, count, so you contradicted yourself on your own list. Well, I'll tell you why that that I say that because this was a single match, whereas the the one is like a second leg of a thing. Uh-huh. But it, it was pretty epic, and uh, obviously the comeback by Liverpool. I'm not I'm not a Liverpool fan by any stretch of the imagination, but the comeback by them was incredible. So I have nothing to add in terms of soccer analysis, but I do have a question. So you said that they got up three to nothing and then blew a three to nothing lead and then an extra time nothing happened and then you went to penalty kicks, basically. Correct. So what you're trying to tell me is rigged. Nobody scores three goals in soccer. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Yeah, three well, goals. You well, lost me as soon as you said it was three. Six goals, Carlos. No, but as soon as you said match. as soon as you said came up to a three nothing lead, I'm like, yeah, so the fix is in is what you're trying to tell me. Why don't you make wait it twelve what's number nothing? one? Why don't you make it twelve nothing and make it really fun? Yeah, twelve nothing lead with a minute left. Twelve goals to come back. Sure, yeah, whatever. While we're all at right. it, we'll use CFL rules. We'll get we'll add extra time. We'll do all kinds of stuff. You ready for my number two? Go. The 2009, even though it happened in 2010, NFC Championship game. <laughs> Garbage. Now, and honestly, so here's the thing, people. I knew Carlos was going to say that. So I came armed with a whole bunch of stats and statistics and things about this game to prove why this is an amazing game. So first of all, in, in the order that I wrote them down, uh-huh. people will remember this game for the Saints winning and going to the Super I already Bowl. forgot. Go on. Okay. But it's also Favre's last hurrah. In, in terms of the last real impactful moment of, of Brett Favre's career was in that game. Yes, he played after this game. But in terms of being really meaningful, no. People will remember it You know, also for the, interse- uh, the Brett Favre interception at the end of regulation where they were driving and probably going to you know kick the winning field goal. Uh, but people should also remember it as something you point out whenever we talk about this game is how many times Adrian Peterson fumbled in this game? Yeah, and uh, the thing is, I like Adrian Peterson. Just so we're clear, I, I like Favre and I like Adrian Peterson, but this was not their finest performances, respectively. But you know what? Peterson also scored three touchdowns in this game. What you're making right now is a Jameis Winston argument. Yes, you performed well. You did certain things. It was like, that's amazing. And then you're like, oh, no, no, that thing. Don't do that. No. So, And the amount of lead changes is insane in this game, too. So here's some, here's some things for you in terms of how. So it started off 
Uh, Peterson was the first person who scored. 7 nothing Vikings. Then it became uh, 7-7. Touchdown by Pierre Thomas for the Saints. 14-7 for the Vikings. Sidney Rice with a touchdown. 14-14. Devery Henderson with a touchdown. 21-14 Saints. First lead for the Saints in the game. Pierre Thomas. 21-21. Adrian Peterson scores again. Uh, then the Saints take another lead. 28-21. Reggie Bush. Then it becomes 28-28 with 2.59 left to go. Peterson. And then we have... You know, the drive, which doesn't happen. Uh, well, I mean, it happen- it's happening. They're basically in field goal range. I mean, it's a long field goal, but they're basically there. Uh, Favre throws the interception. It goes to overtime, and the Saints win on their first possession of overtime, 31-28. On Garrett Hartley's field goal, where Peyton says to him, the coach, just aim for the fucking fleur de He hits a great field goal. Saints go to the Super Bowl. Bedlam. Now, Here's some other interesting stats from this game. A lot of these things... Here's the thing, and this will go to your point too, Carlos, about why you don't love this game. Honestly, if you look at... If you looked at... If I said, here are the stats, okay? You would tell me that the Vikings won this game, okay? Favre passed for 310 yards Mm -hmm. compared to 197 for Breeze. Peterson, the top rusher, rushed for 122 yards compared to 61 for Pierre Thomas. Mm -hmm. Receiving, uh, Bernard Berrien... Had nine receptions for 102 yards versus uh, Devery Henderson for the Saints, four receptions for 39 yards. Mm-hmm. So the Saints kind of got outplayed, but they won anyway. And it was a fantastic game going back and forth with all the lead changes. And that's why it's number two. Yeah. So watching this game, uh, and if I went back to rewatch the game, I could pick up hard certain things. Basically, watching that game. Would you like the DVD? Because I can lend it to you anytime. Because unlike the, the most recent Packers Super Bowl, it's on Blu ray. That's a low blow, Turnbull. That's a low blow right there. <laughs> low blow. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I'll, I'm going to have a little fun with this since, since, since you decided to bring it up. You brought this on yourself is what I'm saying to you. So here's the hey, thing. Man. Watching you, these, no, Nothing the, you can say is going to take away from the fact that it was an amazing game and should be on this list. No, no, no. Uh, it was amazing in the same way that watching five-year-olds play hockey is amazing. When, you know, they're both sloppy, they fall over each other, and they're, you know, there's no sense of skill, ability, talent. Um and basically, they just look like a bunch of drunks just falling over each other. Eventually, somebody will win. Um, and it's probably a close game because neither one of them are good enough to actually put the other one away. So, you know, you got that going for you. Um, don't worry. George will get it. In a couple of years, you'll get a chance to see George do that. And you'll be like, oh, George is so good. Yeah, no, he's the only one who can stand when the other kids are falling over. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not really talent. That's more like circumstance. And when you have that, you basically, the Saints, uh, sorry, the Vikings, had that in Brett Favre, who was still capable of making throws, but then sporadically he would just flip the switch, and then years later his spiritual successor, Jameis Winston, would take up the mantle, but without the uh, accomplishments. So basically, really, Jameis Winston is our modern-day Brett Favre, except he never actually did the winning part. Uh, He skipped straight to the interception-throwing part. And again, Brett Favre, as much as I enjoy him, and he was an exciting player to watch, he also is the all-time leader in interceptions. And as far as the, um, as far as like great, you know, big moments that Favre did that in, he did that two years before in the NFC Championship there too. He threw an interception, but his interception was against the New York Giants, and he did that in overtime. So he basically torpedoed the the Packers in 2007, and then by 2009, it was like even a, a vaguely competent uh, coaching job from the Vikings would have won that game comfortably. And it kind of fit part and parcel with the way that uh, whole you know championship run went, which as time goes on and we watch more Drew Brees, it's like, was he even good? Are we even sure? I don't know about that. 
I'm not convinced. Well, I'm not having this argument tonight, man. 50-50. Well, he's, you know, he's better than Brady, but, you know, me with a broken arm is better than Tom Brady. Like, that's not much. That does not say much. Just got to find your dig in Tom Brady. How many How many of the games that you're talking about are digs at Tom Brady? No, I don't have a lot of football games out here, to be honest. All right. All right. Shall we move on to my top game? <laughs> I don't know how much time we spent talking about this game, but it was like t- 25 minutes too long. Go on. What you're else? just bitter because Favre didn't win. I'm not a Vikings fan. I was I was watching it. But you are Favre. a Favre fan. Yeah, I was watching it for Favre. But in the end, the interception he gave was like, yeah, that's that's the Favre I know. That's why they basically booted him out after 2007. They couldn't stand it anymore. All right. So my number one game is the 2016 MLS Eastern Conference Final second leg. Wow. Toronto FC versus Montreal Impact. And this is on there for a couple of reasons. But one of them is this is by far and above the most exciting soccer game I've ever been to in my entire life. Uh, and I would say also the best sporting event I've ever been to in my entire life. Uh, so it's a two-legged affair. Uh, so Montreal was originally up three to nothing in the first leg. Uh, and then two, TFC scored two late goals and came back and then it became three, two. So Montreal's up three, two come into Toronto and it was a couple of interesting things. I mean, this obviously, I'm not sure this is mentioned on the broadcast or you see this on the broadcast, but they had extra seats in BMO field because it was the great cup that year. And the great cup was in Toronto after this. So they had extra seating up. Uh, or maybe it was before. I don't know. Whatever. They had the extra seating up. Anyway, uh, so it gave it this sort of old English-style soccer feeling, uh, which meant that everything felt very unsafe. And, you know, seat numbers meant absolutely nothing. I was hoping that you were talking about some hooliganism. Because like, that's really... Well, there may have been hooliganism, too, probably. I mean, some people probably got stabbed in, in those seats. But, I, I, you know, I can we'll only hope. Know. I can only hope. Uh, and anyway, it turned into uh, Montreal scored first in this game as well. So they're up 1-0, uh, being 4-2 on aggregate. Uh, but it turned into a repeat score, three-two, uh, and that's the only way in a in a two-legged final that things will go to extra time. So the game went to extra time. TFC scored two goals in extra time, uh, the 98th minute and the 100th minute, uh, and they won. Now they ended up losing uh, the MLS final, which was a few weeks later in Toronto. I was at the game as well, but I call, that's one of the very few times I've ever called into a radio show, and I said, you know what? This game, no matter what happens after this, this game is going to be the one that's remembered because this is the better game. No matter whether they win the championship or not, this is going to be the game that people will talk about. And hands down, the amount of drama in this game, you know, from the game itself for sure, but also because you have two rivals. You have a Montreal and a Toronto team, right? And anytime those two cities play each other in anything, well, and basically it's really only soccer and uh, hockey. I'm not counting football because who cares? You know, no, no, uh, no one cares about a CFL Montreal Toronto match unless you live in Montreal. Wow, wow! I think that was the only take in that whole bit that I actually liked. I, I like that one. Well, you know, if you if you if you got the nuances of pretentious cross country running, Carlos, you would you would like it more. But there you have it, sir. Those are my top five games you should rewatch. I appreciate that at least three of your games were hashtag rigged, uh, including another another soccer thing where it's like a late comeback. But this time, a late comeback in aggregate. Oh, my goodness. That, that required a little extra. That, that was a mm. And then my favorite part is that you're trying to suggest there's a rivalry in MLS. For, yeah, yeah. The long vaunted history of, of Toronto FC and the Montreal Impact. Huge, huge, huge. And I like that and I like that your argument was that both your top two games are basically so the thing before the final was the more exciting game. And then like no. regardless. Well yeah, fair enough. 
but that's yeah. okay. A game is a game. So yeah, no. Okay. So what do you got on on your list, Carlos, that you would like to mention? All right, I'm doing more baseball here. So we already did the 2001 World Series, so I'm good with that one. Uh, game six, 2011 World Series, and that was where the Rangers uh, took on the took on the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And the thing with that game was the way the game played out is that the Rangers were actually up by two twice, especially late. And they ended up losing that game and then losing to St. Louis in seven games. So that's where the Texas Rangers legitimately had multiple opportunities within the context of that specific game to win their first World Series in franchise history. And it was also the series that ended Albert Pujols' career in St. in St. Louis with the championship, which was a very interesting thing the way it played out. But it was just a crazy series. Like I remember watching the whole thing, and that's one I actually have on DVD, so I can go back and rewatch it. And I may just do that, you know, as we've got nice. time. But that game six was just nuts because the tech the Rangers legitimately had multiple opportunities to put the finishing touches on that one. And I could be mistaken. I'm going from memory, but I think the 2011 World Series team. I think Vladimir Guerrero was on that team. Because I believe that was the one where he was playing, and they he had. I a will check this right now. Yeah, check as that you continue. out. Continue. Yeah, fact check me on that one. But I'm I'm going from memory. I think he was on that champ, on that you know World Series team, that got really really close to putting the to putting the finishing touches on it. Vladimir Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he played for the Rangers late in his career. Did he? Yeah, you can look him up on Baseball Reference. I know he played for the Rangers late in his career. I don't remember if it was that specific year or if it was a different one. All right, I'm looking it up, but continue talking about the game. Shall yeah. I? So the bottom line with that one was it was just the fact that you know the Rangers were getting tight, especially late in the game because they were obviously they were winning they were winning that game and they had a real real shot at putting the finishing touches on it because that team was really really good and that was like the last hurrah. No, Guerrero was not on that team on the 2011. No, he was not on that team. Interesting. You know what? Then I'm just looking here. 2010. So he was on the year before. Because was he that the first year? Did they lose in the World Series that yeah. year? They lost yeah, twice okay. in a row. So I know they did. I just didn't know which two years it yeah, was. Yeah, it was 2010. So anyway, fair enough. Uh, but the big thing with that one really was the fact that the Rangers were so close and the fact that that was the second straight time they made it to the World Series and and just falling just short. It was one of those things where they had their little mini run where they were kind of Atlanta Braves-esque where they just couldn't get over the hump and they just were close. They were right there. They were right there. They were right there. And it just didn't materialize. And that's it was very interesting. It was fascinating watching that back and forth. And th- in this case, this wasn't the, the clinching game. But for all intents and purposes, the momentum was snatched because at that point, St. Louis was able to put the hammer on them more or less in game seven. And I think it was very demoralizing to lose in that way when you were up by two twice and then losing in extra innings. So it just kind of oh, took, sure. so it meant it meant the whole the drama, if you want, was dragged out over hours. And then you thought it was coming to an end and then it didn't. And then you thought it was coming into an end again and then it didn't. And it just kept going. And that's what made it nuts. So the next one I'll give you. So I'm going to do the baseball games first. Then I'll do a little football. Then I'll do a hockey game just to finish it off. The next one uh, was uh, kind of a historic game. Don't really like the Red Sox, but you got to give it to them in terms of a drama. So if I'm not going to go with a World Series game, I'll go with game four of the 2004 ALCS, where the Yankees were on the cusp of sweeping the Red Sox. So this is when the curse was still well in effect. That's a great series. Yeah, it was a great series. It went to seven when the Yankees were down, were up three games to nothing. And um, it looked like they were on their way to another World Series. Remember, like I said, they won in 96. They won in 98, 99, 2000. They lost in 2001. They had lost in 2003. And it looked like they were on their way to another World Series, having another crack at it. And realistically, if they had made it to that World Series in 2004, the Yankees probably win. 
because the Red Sox had very little trouble handling. I think that was the first crack at uh, the Albert Pujols-led uh, Cardinals. So that's why 2011 was so significant for them. That was their second win. But the first attempt was in 2004. And um, the fact is the winner of that was going to probably beat that Cardinals team, even though that Cardinals team was very good. But it was uh, a game changer to have the Red Sox. The fact that the Red Sox were able to beat their nemesis and then not only do it and do it in the most, you know, you want to talk about being three nothing down. We're not talking about pretentious cross country runner here. We're talking about three down in the series, meaning you got to win four games in a row. It's not good enough to win once or twice or even three times. You got to win four in a row. And that was, again, against a Yankee team that boasted, boasted like, you know, everything. And they won that game late uh, because the two thousand game four was where the it was the Dave Roberts steal back when he could actually contribute to a championship. Not that not that he's had opportunities in time since in, say, managerial capacities or anything. But that's when Dave Roberts stole a base and actually contributed to a champion, you know, to a win. Just throwing it out there. Um, Got to get your Dave Roberts digs into. Yeah, well, we may as well. We may as well. But the the point is, it was a really exciting series. It was absolutely nuts when it was happening because I remember watching that one because that one I was watching in university. So I was watching that whole Red Sox run and this series in particular was just insane uh, the way it played out. And then, like I said, the Red Sox went on to win that World Series and now now the Boston Red Sox fans are insufferable because they got their thing. You know, it only took beating the Yankees and a bunch of steroids, but they finally did manage to win something. So good for them. Next one on my list, Game 7. 1997 World Series. So this was an interesting one because that 97, that was the first Florida Marlins World Series win out of two random ones. Um, And they beat the Cleveland Indians. And the thing with that was that the Indians, a lot of folks forget, in the mid-90s, the Cleveland Indians were scary. Like, they were really, really good. That was a really Kenny, great Kenny team. Lofton, man. It was Kenny Lofton, but you had, like, a ton of great players on that team. You had Jim Toma, you had Sandy Alomar, you had uh, Manny Ramirez, a young Manny Ramirez. You had Dave Justice as a DH for them, and you had Tony Fernandez and Matt Williams. Yeah, no, it was they were they were stacked. Yeah, and then not only, if that's not enough for you, if that is not good enough for you, like I said, Sandy Alomar was their catcher, but if that is not enough for you, here's some more connections. Think about this. On that same team that almost won the championship, like they were close, really close. They had Marquise Grissom. There's a little Montreal Expo love for you. And, and the backup catcher, 1992 World Series MVP, Pat Borders. What? No, I'm saying like, think about, think about if that team had actually won. If that team had actually won, that's like, definitely a team worth rooting for. Yeah, like they're, they're, for for us as Jays fans, there's a lot there. Like Tony Fernandez is an icon, and unfortunately he passed away earlier this year. Like, but there's a lot of great players on that team that were definitely worth rooting for. And for God's sake, they had Julio Franco. Like, does this team need any? Can we retroactively root for this team to get their win back? I would I would approve of that. Yeah, Screw I'm just Florida. Who cares about them? Yeah, like at the end of the day, did that '97 championship amount to anything? No. It meant nothing. Should should anyone be playing professional baseball in Florida? No. No, no. no Unless no. it's spring training. I also like that Richie Sexton was on this team. Nice. I'm like I'm saying, I love this team. Like just looking at this team retroactively, I love this team. Like, why didn't they win? For God's sake, man. Jeez. Anyway, so yeah, no, just imagine. So it was a powerhouse team taking on a ninety seven team that was put together. Honestly, the ninety seven uh, Florida Marlins was a powerhouse team too. So which is scary. You just have to think about that. It's it's absolutely insane. But um there's a lot of aspects of it that were just ridiculous. And that's one of those things you gotta kinda keep in mind. But that's the way it just kind of worked out. What are you going to do? So that was a good one. Uh, yep. That one went to Game 7 as well. And that was, a, that was a crazy team as far as that was concerned. And a crazy series. To be honest with you, if you go back and check out that series, it was absolutely nuts. And it was very entertaining. 
I don't know where you'd find that one. Maybe that one will be on YouTube. I'll have to look up and see if I can find that one. The next one, though, uh, I think is the easiest to justify, though. Uh, like, I've given you points about these that are important. But the next one is really a classic that you have to go out of your way to check out. And I know this one is on YouTube. It's on that MLB Vault link that I gave you guys either in the previous podcast or the one before. One of them. It's there. Go check it out. It is crazy. So I'll give you the context. I'll give you the game and the context. Game 7, 1991 World Series. So this is where the Minnesota yes. Twins. Yes. This is where the yes. Minnesota Twins won uh, in extra innings against the... Uh, against the Atlanta Braves. So, a couple of things going for it. Number one, that was the first time the Atlanta Braves got to the World Series during that 90s run because they were the quote-unquote team of the 90s. Part of that was getting to the World Series all those times. They did win in 95, but they lost in 91. They lost in 92. They lost in, um, I want to say, they did win 95. They lost in uh, 96 against the Yankees. And I believe they lost to the Yankees at least once more, maybe in 99. I'm just going from memory right now. But they definitely went to the World Series a whole whack of times during that time. This was the first run where they got there after being a last place team as recently as the year before. Like it was crazy how they got there. And 1991 World Series has a classic pitcher's duel of Jack Morris outlasting a young Joan Smoltz, who was also pitching phenomenally well. So if you like a pitching clinic, this is it right here. Both of these guys were at the peak of their powers. And Jack Morris solidified his reputation as being a big game performer. Because he went the distance. And went to the Jays the next year. Yeah, but it was interesting about Jack Morris there. So by that point, think about it this way. By that point, Jack Morris had won a World Series in 1984 with the Detroit Tigers. And then he won this one in 1991 with the Twins. And then went on to win two World Series championships with the Jays. But the reason the 91 World Series Game 7 is is good to watch is you can see Jack Morris at the peak of his powers. But here's the thing. you got to remember something. Again, rose-colored glasses over time. In 1992, Jack Morris won 20 games for the Jays. But he got a ton of run support. He was not the same guy anymore. I think he threw out every ounce that he had left because by the 92 playoffs, he actually wasn't very good. And that's what was kind of interesting about it. So I think he used the last of his gas in, uh, in, the, in that playoff run. But that 90, 1991 World Series Game 7, he was putting on a pitching masterclass. And he was doing it with grit. And he was doing all the things you want to see. And John Smoltz was pitching great. Did he, did he pitch 10 innings in that game? Yeah. Two, yeah. Like, it was right. absurd. Like, he was yeah. absolutely killing it. And uh, and in the end, it was only because the Twins finally found a way to win. And John Smoltz pitched great. And, like, both pitchers did everything they could to try to will their teams to that victory. But it was the Twins that finally got the run that put it over the top. I'm pretty sure it was a one nothing final. Like, it was absolutely crazy how that game worked out. So that right there is a classic World Series game that I would give you as my uh, fifth one. Now let's talk a little uh, football. Okay. So I'm going to get through the Super Bowl ones first, but I do have a couple of college games that are kind of fun and kind of notable for a couple of reasons. So first we'll do Super Bowl 43. The Steelers came back against the Cardinals. Kurt Warner almost became the first player to win Super Bowl with two teams, and Carlos lost a beautiful 7-1 to wager. I was going to say, you, can you actually put this game on the list Be based on you lo losing money? I can because it was a good game, Dave. That's why I say, like, I am not allowing my personal biases to play into this game where I take a mediocre game with a mediocre team that won a mediocre questionable championship just because I oh, like them. Oh, my goodness. It doesn't work you, that you, way. You could argue a mediocre team. You could argue a mediocre questionable championship, whatever. It was <laughs> anything but a mediocre game. The, be the best part is which one do you think I'm talking about? Oh, you you named off five games. I'm just saying. Which I, one? I know. We, we all know you're talking about the NFC Championship game. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, so uh, Super Bowl 43 was actually a crazy game, and the Cardinals were about two minutes away from winning that thing. And I was about two minutes away from winning a 7-1 to one beautiful, beautiful wager, and yet 
you know, the bastard Ben Roethlisberger. And my anger and bitterness towards Ben Roethlisberger carried over. And two years later, the Packers beat that stupid team. Screw him. Screw Steelers. But it was still an excellent game. So I have to give it its I have to tip my cap. It was still, it wasn't it was an excellent Super Bowl. It wasn't that. Yeah. So I have to respect it for what my it heart, was. My heart bleeds for uh Larry Fitzgerald though. Yeah, and the thing is, by all intents, it should have happened. If they had just been competent and slowing down the thing, it was nuts. And I think Heinz Ward caught the uh, the game-winning touchdown that put him over the top. It, it was a crazy game. I remember watching it live with some folks. Uh, I think, I, I believe, I could be mistaken, I believe I was watching that in the basement of Chanel DeMel's house at that time. Yeah. I was I was thinking you were going with housemate Jeff, but. No, no, no. Uh, Super Bowl 43, was, I think, was after that. University was done okay. by then. Yeah. So the next one I'll give you, Super Bowl 51. So, as much as I give flack to the Patriots, again, showing my lack of bias, my objectivity, I am giving credit here to Super Bowl 51, which is where the New England Patriots overcame a 25-point deficit, also known as the Falcons basically laid down and gave up a 25-point lead. I think you mean the Falcons. Yeah. So, they gave up a 25-point lead. Uh, where they really, by all intents and purposes, should have just taken a knee for a damn quarter, and they probably would have won the damn game. The first of multiple opportunities for the then offensive coordinator and now head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, who clearly doesn't know clock management in a Super Bowl. Doesn't seem to understand how this works. Just saying. Just throwing it out there. But what I will say, though, is I'll refer back to a wise man from 2017. February 5th, 2017. After the conclusion of that game, this man, a wise, sage individual, said, I feel that there should be a rule that allowing a 25-point lead results in automatically dissolving the franchise. Who needs a team? Hashtag Super Bowl. I like it. Was that you? Absolutely was me. It was totally me. Damn right. A wise, a wise man, even moments after that game, already knew that the Atlanta Falcons should no longer exist as a professional football franchise after that pathetic performance. I would be fine with that. Yeah. But it was still a crazy game, and if you want, you know, you want drama... Watch the first chunk of the game where Atlanta did everything right, and then watch the last quarter and a qu- quarter and a quarter where they did everything possible wrong. Right, and it, it's also notable for the history of it because yep. it's the first Super Bowl and the only Super Bowl to go into overtime. Yep, and it was and it was because they were so far behind that it was actually physically impossible for them to have won in regulation because they just didn't have enough time to score enough times to be able to do it, and Atlanta still lost that game. I'd say impressive, but I actually brutal, mean the opposite. If you're Atlanta, you know, for sure. But an extremely entertaining game and definitely worthy of a rewatch. Absolutely. So that's a good one. All right. Now I'll give you college finish it off because some of these were some of the damnedest games I remember seeing. Uh, the first one I'm actually going to throw out because it was a good, it was entertaining, and I have some notes on it, but it's not as good as this other one. The sec- the one I'm going to give you is the 2007 Fiesta Bowl. I had to go look it up. Because I was trying to find a certain game, and then once I figured out what it was, it was like, yes, got it. So the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, of all things, not a national championship, the 2007 Fiesta Bowl. The reason why I picked this one, Boise State was in it, taking on Oklahoma. And the two teams scored 22 points in the final 90 seconds to take it to overtime. Wow. And that's the time where they had the overtime rules where you have to score and then the other team has to match and then you do that kind of stuff. And the thing is, they did that. They went back and forth a couple of times. And oh, yeah, bo- the college the college overtime rules are very different from the NFL. Absolutely. And they did that whole thing where they kind of traded shots. And it was when Boise State won on a Statue of Liberty play. Now explain that for people who don't know what that is. So effectively what they did is they faked that the guy was going to throw it and he actually had it behind his back and then it turned it into a different play to actually finish it off. So if you can find that one, 
the, even if you just skip ahead to the to the last quarter or so, it was absolutely madness. That last 90 seconds or so was some of the craziest shit I've ever seen. Just the way it all played out with the timing rules and everything. It was the only way that game could have ended because they they basically wiped out, I think it was like an 18-point lead. And the thing is, you know, Oklahoma had to come back because Boise State was the one who was ahead. So they tied it to send it to that situation because Oklahoma was favored heavily in that game. And in the end, Boise State was able to pull it out. That was a 2007 Fiesta Bowl, which was absolute nice. craziness. I, it's too bad it wasn't like the, you know, Bel Air Direct Insurance Bowl or, you know, something like that. Yeah. But that was the reason why I bring that one up is that even 13 years later, when I was thinking about a game worth a rewatch, immediately that one jumped to my to the point that I had to go look it up so I could figure out what game that was because I know I watched it. And it was nice. insanity. I like that. Yeah. Bowl games, I mean, bowl, you, you got to love college football for the craziness of college football. Yeah. So that's that was kind of the criteria that I went by. I'm like, if this is a game that I'm going to say is worth a rewatch, it's worth a rewatch because some crazy batshit thing happened or it had historical context or it was a massive performance, something. And it, yeah, it's got to be worth your time to sit down and watch it. Yes. Now, I'll give you another one here. So football, we're going to move on from that. Baseball was my main one. Football, I had a couple of games there. But now. Hockey. Now, there's an obvious one. This is where I could afford to be a homer, although I wouldn't really put anybody, I really wouldn't want to put you through it, but I'll give an honorable mention to uh, the 1999 Stanley Cup, Game 6, triple overtime. I'll be honest. The foot was in the crease. The foot was in the crease. Listen, it's at least as legitimate as a New Orleans championship. At least. And at least, you know, the team was good. Um and you had Hall of Fame players. You had at least five Hall of Famers there on the on the Dallas side now. Uh, and you had Crazy Ed Belfour. You can't you can't go wrong with Crazy Ed Belfour. It was glorious. It was, it was so good. That 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 series was madness. Um, I really don't know if I'd pick that to be honest with you though. I'm mentioning it as an honorable mention because to be honest, it, it's a pain in the ass. That game takes so long. I have. You're allowed. You're allowed to have one Homer game on the list. I think. Yeah, but that uh, I'll tell you that um, I have. Um, mm-hmm. Apple TV, if you will, has the ability to download some classic games, including some classic Stanley Cup games. I have that game on my computer. I can rewatch nice. it. Um, I think even with commercial breaks cut out and like they cut out anything that wasn't necessary, they kept it to game action only. It's still it's still got almost a three hour runtime. Yeah, but I mean, hey, we're all you know in self isolation right now, so what the hell? Three hours. It's and then think about that with commercials. Ima- imagine. Yeah. I, I was a much closer young- to four. Yeah, I was a much younger man back then, and it went late, and it just kept going and going, and I was just like, for the love of God, just score just to end the damn game. <sighs> anyway, all right, so if you want to relive my childhood trauma of uh, my teenage years, so there you go. You can have the triple overtime hockey game. <laughs> and then years later, I caught it on CBC where they did a replay, and I got sucked in again because I'm like, I shouldn't watch this, but I watched it. I watched the last, like, two and a half periods of overtime. It was just, anyway, okay. So, the actual game that I would recommend to you that's kind of a crazy one, it's not really a popular game per se, but it was nuts at the time because the context was there. Uh, The 2012-2013 first round matchup, which tells you how crazy the game was that it's even worth mentioning with championship caliber games. The Toronto Maple Leafs lose to the Boston Bruins in game seven, giving up a 4-1 lead with 14 minutes and 31 seconds left on the road. Nice. I was like, dude. Really? And I remember watching it. I just figured, oh, well, you know, they're, you know, the Leafs will win and get to the second round, and then they'll lose there. No, 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 my friends. The Boston Bruins got back from a 4-1 to deficit with 14 minutes and 31 seconds. 
Because in hockey, you can definitely lock a team down. You just keep moving the puck around, dump it to the other side, dump it to the other side. You're killing time is what you're trying to do. It's a three-goal lead. You can hold on. But no, they could not. That was a crazy game, though. I remember watching that one live. That was a hockey night in Canada. And um, if you were a Maple Leafs fan, basically your soul died. You sure your soul didn't die before then? I mean, I wasn't Leafs fan. My soul had nothing to do with no, it. No, no, not you person. I mean, just as uh, a like a proverbial you, right? The yeah. the Leafs fan has had so many opportunities for their soul to die since 1967. So many. It's a. I think it's a legitimate debate. I would love to get like a hardcore diehard. Maybe, Leafs maybe fan. that can be a topic for a future. At what point did the Leafs fan's soul actually die? Yeah, but the thing is, so think about that for a second. Like, we'll, we will talk about it another day, but I think for that, we would need a legitimate Leafs fan on to get their take because that's fair. It, it'd be impossible to figure it out. Like, what do you do when your entire lifetime you don't win anything? Because, unle- because think, 1967, how old do you figure you'd have to be to actually remember a championship if you watched it? Right, like right now? No, I'm saying like just in general. How old do you figure you would have to be to remember? How If you were young, how old would you have to be to actually remember... I don't know. I think you'd have to be like somewhere between five and ten. That's what I'd say. Yeah, because when I think of the 92 and 93 World Series, I was nine and ten respectively. So that was, you know, that one I can recall. Uh, when the, when the Stars won their championship, I was 15. So uh, 16, sorry. Yeah, 16. You know, like I my in terms of a championship, I mean, obviously, you don't remember. I mean, it's different now because, right, like everything you get everything, right? And everything's on. You can PVR things. You can watch it the next day, yeah. whatever. But I'm saying, right? from, from but initial, growing up, I mean, for us. But I'm talking right? about from like, initial viewing. Right. Okay. I'm still saying going within the between five and 10 range because the earliest memory of a championship, I like, I don't remember the 92 World Series. Yeah, fair enough. From like being, I remember 93. I had it on VHS all the games at one point. I know. I wish I still had them, to be honest. That'd be sweet. Yeah. And the 93 yeah, I would also. say, I would say you'd, you'd probably have to have been born in probably 1960 at least. Yeah, Maybe 1959. Take. Yeah, give or take. Now imagine that. So this is this is critical. So imagine that. Let's say that's true. That means you'd only be about five years younger than my dad, who is now 66. Yeah, so you'd be about you'd be around 60 yeah. right now. So, so for, to have a legit memory of the 1967 Stanley Cup, to have like a living memory of that. Correct. So you just have to imagine that as like, um, huh? And let's say. To, to play this thought this thought experiment out, let's say you do have that memory. At that time, you have to imagine that at that point, the Toronto Maple Leafs had won multiple Stanley Cups in the 1960s leading up until that point. Now, mind you, that team was old and they were on their way out. But the thing was, you have to be thinking in the back of your mind, well, we were great in the 50s, we were great in the 40s, we were great in the 30s, we were great, and we've been great in the 60s. It would be like being a Packer fan after Super Bowl II. You've won all these championships in the 60s. Oh, the good times are going to ride forever. No. 30 years later, it was before the Packers won another championship. It took them another 30 years. You're like, holy crap. So it's a, it's context. It's one of those things where you have to think in the back of your mind where like sometimes people don't have an appreciation when a championship is won, especially if you're young. So using the Jays example that we just did a few minutes ago, I remember the 92 World Series very well. Because I remember listening to, and this is where I'll, I'll, I'll throw Dave a bone. So the 92 World Series, some of those games went so late that I, I actually couldn't watch them on TV. Well, I could, but I couldn't, you know, my parents would prefer I didn't. But they conceded to letting me listen to it on radio. So I was listening to the tail, the end of some of those games on radio to catch nice. the end. Tom Cheek. Do you listen to Tom Cheek? I believe so. I believe that's what it was. Oh, beauty. 
Beauty. But um, 93, I watched all the games on TV. So I watched all those. So I do have vivid memories of those games. And some of them were crazy games. Uh, but the thing is, so think, 9 and 10 years old, your team has won back-to-back championships. They had been on the ascend all through the late of the 1980s and the early 90s. Uh, finally got past the Oakland Athletics, who were like the nemesis a lot of times uh, leading up to that point. And they won two consecutive championships. 94, lockout year. 95, the team wasn't nearly as good. And in 94, they were, you know, they were they were in third place when the game it stopped. It didn't look like they were going to make the playoffs no, that year. It didn't look like it realistically. And then by 95, you know, some of the pieces started to get dismantled. To put it into perspective, 9 and 10 years old when the team won the championships and got to the playoffs, they would not get to the playoffs again until 2015. So I was 10 years old when they won the World Series. I was 32 when they next got to the playoffs. Forget about winning anything. To the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that's significant, right? Like you, you can never or should never take a championship for granted, right? I mean, that's why I think in terms of championship memories, right, like the Raptors one is going to be super special. I mean, you never know. Maybe they win it next year. Maybe they win it again soon, right? But, I mean, you don't know. when it's You know, championship isn't an easy thing to win, and you never know. So don't take those championship moments for granted when they happen because you could be a Leafs fan. Yeah. And and never have won anything in your lifetime. Yeah. Well, that's and there's why there's a lot of people right now that can say that. Yeah. That's why I give uh, that's why I say to the Raptors. That's why I was very happy with the for the for the legitimate longtime Raptors fans when they got that one, because it's like, well, enjoy it. And, uh, you know, Dave's, you know, Dave's low blow aside. At least you got to see it in high definition. Uh, mind you, I did see it in high definition. There's just no record of it. It didn't happen. You can't you can't prove it in a court of law, Carlos. Hey, listen, I have a digital download from Apple that was in HD. So screw you, Turnbull. But that was uh, that'll be a story for another day. But the point is that, yeah, don't take it for granted. So when a team has that's why I say, like, when you have these moments, uh, you have these, you know, critical games, then you kind of have to you kind of have to really uh, enjoy it because sometimes uh, those digital memories are all you got. Because even taking the Jays as the example, it's like, I don't know when the next time they're even going to be in contention again is. Forget about winning a championship. How about making the playoffs? I don't necessarily see that in their short-term future. Um, yeah, for sure. And it'll be questionable. Like, imagine, we could easily be into our 40s before they're even a playoff team again. And that's kind of and that's kind of crazy to think about, like I said, when we go back to where we started. But anyway, so, that's, uh, so those are the games that I chose. Uh, I already gave my honorable mention with that triple overtime game, but I think those are kind of the ones that I would go with. There's plenty of other ones, but hopefully this will give you an idea of different ones. You know, go revisit some of those old games. The networks are starting to throw them out, especially the sports networks are starting to throw out some of those classic games because they're like, look here, relive these memories if you lived them the first time. And yeah, if not, it's, you're seeing it's, them. it's kind of annoying not getting ESPN right now because they're doing a bunch of classic Monday Night Football games. And, you know, we don't get that network. But I get, keep getting notifications about it, which sucks. If only there was a thing called the internet. You could probably you could probably see them if you really wanted to. Not that we would know anything about that. No, of course not. Absolutely not. Hashtag don't sue us. Hashtag don't arrest us. Anyway, so that was the so those are kind of the ones I'll go with. I'm good. I'm content with that list. Is there anything else you want to add as far as that's concerned? No. Um, I, I'm good. I you know the the one thing I would put out there that I was thinking as you're doing this, and I I like I really wanted to put a basketball game on the list, uh, because I did I knew you wouldn't. I thought about it legitimately, but the problem that I had, jokes aside, the reason why I didn't include a basketball game in there is that a lot of the basketball games that I would consider to be really interesting in terms of historical context or whatever that I might have seen. The problem is that I keep running into is I think a lot of them are just not very good games. 
Like like the classic example that I would probably use would have been the game uh, on the Raptors playoff run because at least I watched it. I can say I actually saw it. The one that I would give you is maybe the one where you know Kawhi hit that ridiculous shot against the 76ers. Yeah, but it was a horrible game. But it was a horrible game. Yeah. So I, I'm like, okay, then watch the highlight. Like that's the best I can do. But honestly, the one the one thing I was thinking of, and I've been I've watched all the games so far uh, in if, of the you know the replay of the championship run. And honestly, so far in terms of like the best actual game in terms of drama and with what's at stake and whatnot, I would say it would be game three of the Eastern Conference final, yeah, uh, Milwaukee and Toronto. Yeah, where it went into double. I forgot that it, because I knew it went into overtime after I was watching. I was like, oh yeah. And then it went, but it actually goes into double overtime, mm-hmm. which I had forgotten about. Yep. Uh, so there's plenty of drama with that. And a bunch of people fell out of that game mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Giannis fouls out of that game. Lowry fouls out of that game. I think Norm Powell fouls out of that game, mm-hmm. and he was having a really good game. So yeah. th- that game, so f- in terms of the run that I've seen so far, I would say that game is the best. Uh, but in terms of like any sort of memories of basketball, it's kind of sporadic in my brain. But it, you know, it, it's usually coming out of the NCAA tournament. Sure. Right. Yeah, I, think I, I think that's where you're looking for for huge drama. Uh, you know, in a sort of a one-off game, that's where you're going to find it. And uh, I know this isn't going to be great for our American fans, but for our Canadian fans, uh, TSN is doing some classic March Madness games right now. So, so if you're I, interested in that, you can feel free to check that out. So can I give you one more hot take here since we're on this subject? Of course you can. All right. So here's the deal, guys. Uh, just so you know, as far as basketball is concerned, you can rewatch any game you want. But I think you're going to have to be looking for uh, a personal connection. So, like, if you're a Raptors fan, we watching these Raptor games, whether the games are good or not, is still worthwhile to you. Why do you think Dave included a uh, New Orleans uh, NFC game? It was kind of crap. But the point is that... Uh, it, man. It was a good game. It was a garbage game. Get out of you, here. You know, man. No, it, was, it was... I Honestly, I would like people... Like, please, listeners... No. Tell us whether watch the game. How many fumbles does Adrian make. Peterson have to have before you can before you realize it wasn't good? It was poorly executed. It was bad football. No, as yeah. a game as a whole, it was a great game. It was a, it has everything you want in a football game, except for like competent play, we logical play game. calls. Anyway, so the the point though is, as far as the basketball is concerned, the problem I would say, and this is just my opinion on this one, the problem I would say is that for the last since the three pointer has really moved into prevalence as 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 the as a primary offensive weapon for teams. I'll be honest with you, most of the games that you're going to have maybe in the last I'm going to say 10 years, you might be able to go further, but let me just say the last 10 years or so since that became a bigger and bigger and bigger part of the game. I'll be honest with you, there are no classic games. There are classic moments within games. There are classic stretches within games. Maybe somebody gets hot. Maybe a team locks down defensively and suddenly there's that tension. But basically, almost every one of these playoff games, I wouldn't tell you to rewatch the game. I tell you to rewatch the fourth quarter. I tell you to rewatch the last couple of minutes of the fourth quarter when the tension is at its highest and the thing is in doubt. Because right up until that point, oh, but the team got off to a 10 nothing run. Yeah, that's because the other team missed like eight three-pointers in a row. They went 0 for 8. It's like actually they were just playing like shit and missing shots. And that's the reason why the other team got up to a 10 nothing run. It wasn't that, oh, they locked down. No, you shot it from 45 feet and you missed. That, that's why it, there was no great defense being played. I would say if you go back, if you want, if I wanted to do basketball, I'd probably look at maybe some games from the 90s or the early 2000s to like see when they're playing or like some those, basketball. Some of the, you know, the Lakers Celtic games from the 80s. Sure. But I'm saying you got to go back then. Think about that, though. I'm, I'm like I'm like dragging you 30 years back to find classic games. Are there great moments? Yes. Are there tremendous performances? Absolutely. But are like the top to bottom good games? No, not really. 
Well, I think, but I mean, but think about this, and this is this is my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but if you think if if people talk about basketball play from a Toronto Raptors perspective, what comes? Maybe now they'll talk about the shot more, but but generally, but not in terms of the history of the Raptors. What moment stands out the most that people talk about? The actual championship one? No, the Vince Carter slam dunk contest. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, sure. Right, and that wasn't a game. Yeah. But that's what that's what I'm trying to get at, though. It's it's you you as a Raptor fan, you're happy they won. You're thrilled they won. The journey getting there was exciting for you as a fan. But if you actually watch the game analytically from beginning to end, it's and I'm, when I'm talking about watching game, I'm talking about from the opening tip off or the first pitch or the you know after the coin toss and you snap the football. I'm talking about from the beginning of the game to the end. Some of these games that I picked here. I would rewatch from the beginning of the game to the other one. A lot of these other classic games that somebody could pick because they're a fan, I'm like, no, man, I actually will just watch the fourth quarter or I'll watch the last couple of minutes or I'll watch a couple of highlights because then I get the part that, I, that I'm interested in because the rest of the game, there are stretches. And then during that same Buck series you referenced, there were stretches that both teams genuinely played bad. It was just like both yeah. teams. Like it was just really bad to watch. Now, in the end, if your team won, you're happy. But it's like, no, this was, this was a bad game. If... I'm watching it because I'm looking for an outcome, but you're just sitting there like, okay, stop taking 30-footers. Just stop shooting bad shots. Go go for a layup. Go for a freaking dunk. Go, go, for, go for a higher percentage play and stop doing That's why you're going on an offer for like 10 minutes and you're not making a basket. I don't remember how long it was. There was a legitimate stretch in that Bucks series where they and the Raptors, both teams, missed every shot for like five straight minutes. Nobody made a shot. Nobody scored a point. And that was in the conference championship. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying. That, Like I said, I'm not trying to denounce it because if, if you have fond memories of the series or fond memories of a run, I'm not taking it away from you. But I'm just saying top to bottom is a game. Good God. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, that's all I'm saying. Like, you're going to have to come up with your own criteria. But as far as like all-time great games, I always think that it feels like it needs to be a game that has maybe the ebbs and flows, but it tells a story and it has a, co- a cohesion from beginning to end. Those are the games I always think are the ones that stand out and hold up. And I didn't even talk about when the Cubs won the World Series, which was a crazy, I don't remember which game it was. Maybe it was the clincher. But there, that was a crazy was the clincher. Game. Yeah, that was a crazy game. Like, well, I mean, there's tons of games that we could have mentioned on this list that yeah. we, we didn't for a variety of reasons. Yeah, but it's like I could have just gone on for the baseball games because the thing is, as much as people will criticize regular season baseball for lacking the intensity, which it does, and having bad flow with timing, which it does, playoff baseball is a different animal. It's uh, it's a whole thing. That's why that's where I get passionate as a baseball fan. That's where it really kicks up for me, and it gets there. But yeah, and all the other sports are going to have moments like that too. But sometimes it's uh, you'll get bogged down in like, oh, duh. do any of you actually know how to play this sport? Because my goodness, that'll be it for us. Uh, you can check out the more episodes of me, you know, ridiculing the NFC Championship or other things that I feel like doing. This the the one I picked on this time. On iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out the archived versions of these episodes on YouTube with cartoon versions of our faces. You can find that when you by looking up Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Just type it in. You'll find it there. Our social medias will be back eventually uh, if we actually start using them again. By we, I mean me. If I ever get you know off my lazy ass and actually put something on there. Otherwise, that'll be it for me. So for myself and Dave, we'll catch you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.